We work to work, you late to work, I holla and they send it You know my pride was colder than Chicago in December My bitch came up in Inco with her mama was her daddy And when I'm in the Midwest, she say holla at your family My dog paid me that cup, taste like candy My dog out laying the law, ain't bring no laws out, serving out the rock What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Ball podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, fresh off vacation. I actually took my my first full week off of the podcast since we started it. Just got back from L.A., feeling good, feeling COVID-free, and, uh, you know, just loving life over here in in Philadelphia. So uh, I'm very excited to have back on to the podcast today uh, Mr. Austin Krell. You might know him from an episode that we did earlier in the season. You might know him from The Painted Lines, where he, he covered the Sixers this year. And you might know him from his podcast, The Feed to Embiid. What's going on, Austin? What's going on, Trill? It's always it's always a pleasure to be on uh, the, the pod talking about, you know, knowing ball and whatnot. Absolutely, dude. And uh, we, we get to talk about our favorite thing, of all time up top. Some more tea leaves shit coming yes. out there. There's no real like solid updates on the Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard, all that jazz. But there is some speculation that has been out there from national reporters. Um, we've gotten basically the two teams that seem to be the most interested in Ben Simmons. At this time, we'll just start with Ben, since he is currently on the Sixers. And there has been a lot of buzz the last few weeks, basically just about the fact that he might be willing to hold out going into camp. Maybe that's been thrown out there. There has been the speculation that the Spurs and the Timberwolves are the two teams that are making basically a full court press on Ben um, and and basically trying to continue to keep their name in the conversation when it comes to Ben Simmons talk. And uh, personally, I'm pretty exhausted of this. But um, so, Austin, just up top, let me get your thoughts on. Do you think Ben Simmons will be a sixer by game one? It's it's the world's hardest question right now. It's the most pressing question I think in our country at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like just you know that will Ben Simmons start the season with the Sixers? Um, I think you will because, and I'll probably do, do like a, a column on this this week. Um, I just feel like they really have to be careful here because he's your last big trade asset. Even if, you know, he flamed out of the playoffs and his contract is a max player contract and you don't think he's a max player, but whatever, he's an all-star. Um, so, and he's, and he's, tw- and, he's mid- and he's in his mid twenties. So that's, you're ba- he's still an asset by, you yeah. know, no matter how you carve it. Um, so he's your last real trade asset. And I think if, 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 if they want to contend, they're going to need another star back. And I think the only way you do that, um, where you're really comfortable about you know, the return you get is you're waiting for for you know Lillard or um, Bradley Beal. The, the, the Levine thing, I think, is very quiet at the moment. Which that ship I, mean, is, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's satisfied in Chicago at the moment. We'll see if maybe that changes once his con- if they're trying to lowball him on a contract. But... Um, 
you know, I, I just think it's very risky to trade him for something less than that star level player. And then in hopes of, well, we'll just slip these assets when Dame comes available because you, you, you don't know. And then suddenly you've taken a massive step back. It, it would be so much easier if like Joel was 23 or like 24 or like you, or like his body wasn't just a walking clock or a ticking clock because you, you know, you can't waste any years with, with, with him. And so you really have to make sure that when you're trading him, you're you're getting the asset back. That's going to elevate you. Yeah, I mean, that was the situation we knew that the Sixers would be in right now due to everything that you kind of just touched on. Uh, it's something that I've talked about a lot on here. And I, I've been thinking about it more. And one thing that you brought up is essentially if they are to take back assets in a trade, let's say they do a more young player pick base package, the risk that you run is what just happened to the Golden State Warriors, actually. You know, the Golden State Warriors have back-to-back seasons. If you take all of their lottery picks, they have three lottery picks that they turned into James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. Now, regardless of how you feel about those prospects, everyone knows that before a pick is made, especially a top 10 pick, it has a lot more value on the market than a player, unless yeah. that it, that player turns into a surefire hit from the jump, like a LaMelo ball or something of, of that nature. So the risk that the Sixers run is that no stars ask out between now and the trade deadline. And by the way, what happened with James Harden last year is generally the outlier when it comes to these things. Yeah. The major trades are made in the offseason. Yep. And they're almost never made in season. It's honestly the the two exceptions to this rule were both basically around James Harden. Both the James Harden trades happened very early in the season due to extenuating circumstances that I think are a little bit different than the Damian Lillard situation. I think like the the only scenario I remember, which I'm probably blanking, but it was Harden. And then it was when Karan Butler was traded from the Wizards to the Mavs the year they won the title. It was like midseason deadline, and they got Karan Butler, and then he like missed the entire playoffs with like a shoulder injury. But, oh wow! I don't see. I don't even remember that one. Yeah. yeah so. But to the fact that you have to go back that far to even think of one, and you know, we're talking about guys like Damian Lillard, James Harden. Uh, you know, it, it is very rare that that class of player ever becomes available during the season. Yeah. Now. Basically, kind of what I was talking about before is like if you look at the Sixers options, let's say they take a package from one of the two teams I mentioned, the Wolves or the Spurs. The Wolves one, you don't want to get back anyone but Anthony Edwards, essentially. I mean, like Anthony Edwards would be the big prize in a Ben Simmons trade if you're making a trade with the Wolves. You don't want D'Angelo Russell because of his contract. You don't want Malik Beasley because he's not quite as good or of a prospect or a player, even though I do like Malik Beasley a lot. And then beyond that, you essentially you go, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is obviously not going to be on the table in any sort of trade, even though that that would be certainly interesting to see him and Embiid on the same team. That would be that would be the funniest shit ever. Just <laughs> right. And I'm I would imagine that the Timberwolves right now are saying Anthony Edwards is not being traded. He just, you know, had the this this great second half of the season. He showed flashes of being a potential superstar. He's going to be the you know perimeter creator of, of the future here in, in Minnesota. And we have no interest in that. Okay, so if those things are the case, let's say you take 
back a Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Jaden McDaniels and picks situation. Now, none of those players or just draft picks or anything like that is all that appealing yeah. in a trade for a player like Damian Lillard. Now, mm-hmm. Even if you trade Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard, you have to add in Tyrese Maxey. You have to add in picks. You have to add in all this stuff. And then I look at the Spurs and I go, there's really no prospects on their team. Although I think that if you were to make a trade, like let's say it was you traded for DeJounte Murray, Derek White, and maybe one of their young prospects and picks. First off, I don't know. I don't think San Antonio would would give that much. But – it would essentially put you in the same exact position that you're in right now, which is a team that can't make it past the second round. And then, as you said, you're giving away your quote-unquote best trade asset in Ben Simmons, and you're basically working from a very hard position to upgrade your roster in general. So my question to you is, what if Ben Simmons does decide to hold out? What what if that actually happens and like Ben Simmons is like, I'm not showing up to training camp. I'm not playing for the Sixers again. Find a trade. What do they do from there? That that becomes the big question a month or two from now. Yeah. Um, it's it's just so incredibly complex. Like everyone every time Daryl Morey tweets or the Sixers tweet anything, it's like you have like a bunch of like, oh, uh, uh Jaden McDaniel season people are like any kind of like 16 year old who just got Twitter for the first time. Like who cares? Trade Ben or trade for Dame or like, 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 like whatever. Um, it, it's just so incredibly complex. And I feel like I don't think Ben's going to hold out. Even though everyone, everyone thinks he is. I, I don't for two reasons. One, because it's just not, if he really wants to get off the team, it's not in his best interest because his, his values at an all time low people are, are therefore people are, are, you know, uh, conflicted about trading for him anyway at the moment. And part two, if 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 he if he, if he holds out, no one's going to trade for him because they don't know they don't they haven't seen him. What yeah. they've seen is him playing pickup with like a con- couple of guys at the Chris Johnson camp for amazing basketball um, <laughs> in, in L.A. or wherever the hell that is. The clutch seminar. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that number two. I think Michael Scotto and I are the only ones who have, who have actually said this, but and I'm not this isn't to compare myself to Michael Scotto because he's I'm not even close. But I, I, people near Ben have have been like pretty outgoing up to this point and saying like he would like he's not he's not like against coming back. He's he's willing to return to Philly. So I think there is an air, a scenario where he comes back and he plays. It's probably the best thing for him if he if he if he's going to get traded to play. Um, but if he does hold out, you don't, you, you, you don't panic and trade him. The second you trade him and you get back like, um, Malik Beasley, Ricky Rubio, some, some Jaden, some, some picks or whatever. Ricky Rubio is on the Cavs now. So that would be a little bit hard. Yes. Yes. You're right. (laughs) Torian Prince or Patrick Beverly. I simply don't know ball. Mm -hmm. Um, but the second you get, like you do any of that, you're losing the trade. And you can forget it. Like, like, like you're done. Like, MB just signed his deal. He'll probably ask for a trade because 
what is there left? There's there's nothing left. Philly's as as a first round exit again. So you hold on to him until that deal presents itself. Even if he if he's gonna you know moan or whatever and hold out, um, which I don't think he again I don't think he'll do. Um, You might have a a painful uh, season at times this year because you're trying to get through some chemistry stuff and he doesn't want to be there, whatever. But you ultimately hold out, I think, in, until that until that player does come available. Because um, it's, it's your last ticket. It's, just, it's really what it yeah. comes down to. And I, I, I think another factor of this, whether you believe this or not, I find a lot of this stuff to be kind of bullshit um, when yeah. it comes to Ben's character concerns. I think ultimately a lot of the character concerns he had coming out of the draft, a lot of the character concerns that he's had in the NBA are people just projecting their own opinions of Ben Simmons onto him. And, uh, you know, even though I'm not his biggest fan in the world, I, I don't think that he has this flawed character trait where he just like refuses to try to get better. And I, I don't believe that he is like a selfish person that only, like I, and a lot of people will say like, Oh, well he just doesn't care. Like he doesn't put in the effort. He doesn't put in the, and I'm like, I watched the Sixers. I've watched pretty much every game of the Sixers over the last three or four seasons. Ben busts his ass yeah. <laughs> on a Tuesday night in Charlotte. Ben is going to be busting his ass. So I find a lot of those character effort based things. I think a lot of his issues have been mental. And I think that that's something that he needs to sort through, but from a actual putting in the work standpoint, I don't really buy those, but there are people in the NBA that do buy that. They do think that. And if he is to hold out, it would essentially be another mark on his quote unquote character. And people might look at that more negatively around the league. So I think ultimately, if it becomes a staring contest, I think that he will give in and I think he would show up to camp. I don't think he's going to hold out. It's pretty unprecedented that a player, especially a player on the second year of his five-year max contract, to hold out. There really is no standard for this in the modern NBA. Uh, A 25-year-old all-star holding out. Like, this just doesn't happen. Yeah. But clutch sports is his representative and they have done, you know, and the Anthony Davis situation is unique in itself, but they definitely have been showing a, they've shown a willingness to do whatever it takes to get a player traded. And ultimately their job is to do what's best for Ben Simmons, which is why I think he will show up to camp and they know that. But I think that it, as you said, it will be, it will be testy. It will be awkward until they can either find a trade for Ben or they can, I don't know, make make something work. Because ultimately we know this is going to be a good regular season team again if Ben comes back. Like the vibes aren't going to be quite as high as they were last year, which is a big part of the reason why I think that they ended up the number one seed. But if Ben does come back, that their their floor is essentially as long as Embiid, Ben, Tobias, all the main guys stay healthy, their floor is like a four seed. So uh, as Hard as it will be for me to accept it just because it's hard to get excited about a team that I believe has a ceiling of a second round exit once again. I think that it probably would end up being what's best for the team in the long run, even if it didn't align with my 
personal wants and desires, if that makes any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, second round exit, like, I guess if we're talking about it in terms of like everyone else, I mean, a lot of other teams got markedly better and the Sixers like got slightly better. Like, I think, I think they're a better team than they were at the end of the season. Cause slightly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, like George's Niang, I think is, is a really nice replacement for Mike Scott. Um, and I think, you know, that they would like to, um, at least Daryl Morey would like to get the young guys in the rotation and get, and, and you know, uh, you know, uh, strengthen and depth, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, there's so much left and so many like different variables here that it's like, if, 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 if one, if, if, if Ben comes to camp, right. And everything, everything's all good. You, you could make a case. Well, maybe they'll build off what they had last season. Dude, that's in an ideal. That's in, that's in an ideal world, right? Um, there are very few are ideal worlds with the Sixers <laughs> uh, that actually come to fruition. Um, so, you know, I I, I I I think he'll show up to camp. I do. Maybe maybe it's a little ugly uh, at first, but I think he'll show up to camp. What I'm really interested in is like those first interviews with like the media because because you know there's going to be a certain uh, Eagles Eagles ring wearing man there uh, who uh, is going to ask him about a jump shot and about this and about that um, and you know it, it, that's going to be something that he's going to have to sort of nail home with his PR people. But I think like you make you mentioned the Anthony Davis stuff. There's one big big difference here. Anthony Davis is, was at the time like a top five or six player in the league, right? Ben Simmons is not that. He, he, he does not have that um, that cachet that that Anthony Davis had where, if, where Rich Paul could just work his magic and get him off the team and to the place he wanted to be. Sure. Ben Simmons is not that guy. Um, yeah. Now maybe he'll put on like a that's all for now folks shirt when it comes to camp and then, you know, the, we'll, we'll, everything will be, will, be, uh, will be great. But I think... Again, like the the best way, the the, the the best scenario for Ben Simmons, whether it's you know staying and 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 you know rewriting his story after 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 a bad after a, a, a rock bottom moment, or it's getting traded to another team and getting a new a new beginning, it's showing up and playing and and, and like growing up and like being a man and accountable, like what, like, wow, what, what, what ideas 25 year old man decides to grow up and be accountable for himself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, ultimately this, the, the Sixers to me, it's not, it's, it's less about like the Sixers improvements and more about the other teams. Like you mentioned, like, I think that the Nets got even better. I think that the Bucks remained about the same. They're coming off a title. I think that, the Hawks have shown that they should be in the same class as us. I think that the the Celtics, although they didn't get a ton better, they definitely made slight improvements. I yeah. think that the, the heat, heat are better. The Heat also did. So you have that middle. We're kind of in the middle class of those Eastern Conference playoff teams, and every team around us, at least because. Atlanta's so young that they will have a year of development in addition to bringing in two more talented rookies 
that I think that from the Sixers' perspective, the way that they will get better is optimizing the guys that they have in-house and hoping for development from some of these young guys that we're going to talk about later in the Summer League segment. So just to, to wrap up this whole thing, like... There was something that came out today from Sam Amek of The Athletic. And a few days ago, Woj essentially said, for now, Damian Lillard is staying put. He don't expect a trade request anytime soon. So he's not even really leaving it up to question. He's kind of firmly saying, like, Dame will be at training camp. Dame will, is not putting in any sort of request. He's going to try to make things work in Portland. And Sam Amek from The Athletic suggested that Damian Lillard could maybe just look at the landscape of the league right now and say, okay, of all the teams that can trade for me, because the Sixers right now would be pretty much number one on the list of teams that can trade for Damian Lillard. They have the assets to do it with Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, Picks, young other young players on the roster. They have the ability to trade contracts, which a lot of teams don't have right now. The Knicks don't have the ability to trade contracts. The Warriors could trade contracts, but you'd have to take back Andrew Wiggins' contract, and Andrew Wiggins is not necessarily a huge positive in a trade. And you have to get up to that $40 million, oh, you have to get up to that $40 million mark to, to trade for Damian Lillard. So he knows right now that if he were to request a trade, that he would basically end up on the Sixers. Like that is, unless he waits until the Knicks can make more trades, the other teams that he has been linked to can make more trades, then he knows that it's essentially a one-team market. And I thought that was interesting. It was the first time that someone suggested that maybe Damian Lillard doesn't want to come to the Sixers at all. Do you think that that's a possibility? Or do you think that that was just essentially just speculation based on where we're at right now? I don't think it would be number one on his list. Um, because Philadelphia just isn't number one on anybody's list. Although I think he would probably, for lack of a better word, vibe with fans in a way that a lot of other stars don't. Um, but I do think that they would be on his list because I I definitely, like if you look at the, the teams that have been mentioned, the Knicks, um, the Heat, obviously, the Lakers, you know, those are, the Heat and Lakers are obvious ones because they're always going to be obvious ones. But, like the, the common denominator there on the court is that they have biggish men who can like run a real pick and roll with Lillard and like Julius Randall for is not a big man per se, um, but they have Taj, they have Mitchell Robinson, they have Nerlens, and I think you get Julius Randall playmaking out of the short roll. There's like some stuff there that I think is interesting for 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 Lillard, but in terms of like, hey, game like we don't want to like trade you like, like we'll trade you to where one of the teams you're interested in, but like, this is the best offer we have. It's from Philadelphia. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's this, um, you know, would you be okay going there? And I think in that case, yeah, it's one, it'll be like one of the five teams on his list, but I think the Sixers have the best package to maximize, to maximize him. Like the Knicks are going to have to give up RJ Barrett, some stuff. Emmanuel quickly. probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that isn't necessarily an appetizing pick. Like, would you rather have Barrett and, and you know, quickly and some assets or some picks or like Tyrese Maxey, Paul Reed and, you know, whatever else. And I, I, those guys, like Paul Reed, like, uh, RJ Barrett had a really, really good year and he's better currently than, 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 than those guys. But I don't know that, the, I don't know that his ceiling is higher than, 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 than Tyrese Maxey's is. So I think like in terms of what you'd have to give up, 
to if you're the Knicks to get Lillard, it's not ultimately going to be worth like you're probably going to have about the same chance of, of, of contending as you did before the trade. My big my big thing with it is that I don't think that Damian Lillard would look at the Knicks' current roster and yeah. say, oh, okay, I'm going to go there and we're going to be title favorites if you remove uh, quickly and you remove Barrett and you remove, I don't know, Mitchell Robinson. Whoever it takes to get Damian Lillard, you figure that out basically. But my my big thing would be he would look at it as a situation where he could say, I'm probably going to be this. That team is probably going to be just as decent, if not a little bit worse, in a worse conference. And I can recruit in New York yeah. City similarly to the way that Kawhi Leonard did when he went to the Clippers, or LeBron James did when he went to the Lakers, or Kevin Durant did when he went to Brooklyn. You go to Philadelphia, the you're you're not the guy here. That's the big thing is like – and Dame seems like someone that would care about that. That is – that's what it ultimately comes down to is like this is Embiid's team and Damian Lillard would be the one A to the one of Embiid. But like, you know, I think that you could argue they're in a similar tier of player, but Dame would be going to someone else's territory. Whereas similarly to Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn – Players care about the legacy shit. Like Dame has been one of the the players that's talked about wanting to create a legacy in Portland, and he has done that for the past ten years or so. And yeah. if he wants to really create a legacy, have his own team, all that stuff, bringing the Knicks back to being championship contenders is going to be his best way to do that. As opposed to, he might have a better shot of winning a title if he goes to the Warriors or the Sixers, but he's going to be going to another person's team. He's yeah. going to Steph Curry's team. He's going to Joel Embiid's team. And if that is a factor of it, I think that would be the argument for him going to the Knicks over these other teams. Yeah, I mean, so then I would I would probably posit this. Um, first, do you think he prefers Tibbs to Doc or Doc to Tibbs? My guess would probably be that he probably prefers Tibbs. Um, just, Maybe. That, that, that's just me speculating because, like, I think we've overplayed the thing where Doc has a lot of cachet and a lot of clout around the league. Like, I think he does to an extent, but I think, you know, it's not to what it's been made out to be. There's um, been more negative stories with Doc yeah. than there has been positive. And yes. Thibs, with like, what has happened there, still has a great relationship with some of his old players, with Carl yeah. Anthony Towns being one where they don't have a great relationship. But the majority of guys who he's played with uh, or played uh, coached, he has a decent – like he's still – close with a lot of guys and, and and players seem to really like to play for him. So maybe I, I don't think that I don't think the coach is going to be what makes or breaks yeah. it. I think Dame yeah. is going to look at it like where it, he's he's either going to value contending for a title immediately and wanting to go play for a, a team that's like a sub contender or an actual contender right now or he's going to look at it like if I go to New York I can make them into contenders, and if I make them into contenders, that's what ultimately does the best for my career in the long run. Yeah, and I, I'm interesting. I think this is interesting too. Like a lot of times, we'd argue that the New York market is just simply too robust for Philly to compete, and I think that's fair. I also don't think Dame's the kind of guy who needs market. Is that attracted to like the big, the the, the big stage, the bright lights? Um, you know, in the way that other guys are. That's true. Now, now maybe. 
after nine years in Portland, he's ready for, you know, he's like, oh, I would actually like to be playing in front of Jay-Z or, you know, Spike, Spike Lee, not Spike Eskin, Spike Lee every night. Um, um, well, Spike is also a, Spike Eskin is also a Knicks fan. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> um, my question to you that I would pose is this. Well, two questions. First, are we sure swapping Ben for Dame makes the Philly substantially better? That's just my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a tweet earlier from Sam, who is a Warriors uh, podcaster, that posed that question. Yeah. He was definitely trolling because I guess it ob- it obviously yeah. does. Um, yeah. Now, if you want to argue if they would be in the Nets class, that's a different situation. That's yeah. a, that's that's a whole other combo. Right. But, but I think for me, do you, let me ask you this: Do you think? There's a world where Ben comes back and it's number one tenable and number two like they can recover as a group to where they were like last regular season. No. Okay. I just think I I just think it's one of those things where it's like I think you could get to the point where like you can make it work like they could win games, but I don't think you could get to the point where it's like him and Embiid are like, oh, we're friends again. Like, I don't think that he's going to be like motivated to go play for Doc Rivers. I don't think that there is that level of trust that he has with Daryl Morey still. I don't think that. The, and, and by the way, that trust might have never been there from the beginning just because yeah. he basically tried to trade him for for James Harden two months into the job, which you know, that's his job. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, he's going to have no trust with the coach, no trust with the best player on the team and no trust with the GM. I just don't I can't think of a situation that has ever happened where the player comes back and they had a falling out and it's all good. We're, we're moving past it. And it's, it's, it's it. I think that the, the second that he passed up the dunk and then however, whatever context the Embiid comments were taken from whatever context doc rivers comments. And by the way, I don't even think they were wrong, No, but, but, that's what fractured the relationship, and that's what will fracture the relationship moving forward. So he's not returning any calls. I, I'm ready to move past the Ben Simmons uh, situation, which is kind of why I want this to be over. Uh, you know, we're now 30 minutes in. I don't want to waste any more time on this. But let's move to something more positive because we got to have the good vibes going into this season. There we need go. to. We need there. to – we need to fucking burn some sage. We need to get all the bad vibes from the end of last season and get back those good vibes. So Joel Embiid signed his extension with the Philadelphia 76ers, Supermax extension that we expected him to sign, but there was no, last time I recorded, there was no reports that he was going to. We had no idea what was happening. And then, of course, a few days into my vacation, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to sign that extension now. So very convenient timing. No pants. I thought it was hilarious. Like, he just like, gets up in the morning, he's walking around <laughs> in his box. I'm going to sign this shit, go back to bed. Yeah. I'm now 100 uh, $195 million richer. So there's we're, that. Yeah. We're, well, we're working in a post-COVID world here. We're all remote. We're all working in our underpants. Um, but uh, so... Signs the extension. He will be with the Philadelphia 76ers, barring any sort of trade request, um, for the next six years. Um, Obviously, fantastic news. We will get an MVP candidate in the prime of his career, the best sixer of the past 20 years easily. Um, uh, Arguably could end up as the best of of all time. I think that people – obviously, Sixers fans know – how good Embiid is and how much he means 
to us. But I think outside of like the Sixers bubble, it feels like Joel still has not gotten really that appreciation as like a legitimately amazing player. Like he literally, I know he's had the injury concerns, but he literally leads the NBA in points per 36 minutes all time. (laughs) Better than Michael Jordan. It's like, so number one, and I don't want this to be a hot take, but I, I, I think it's, I've been kind of underwhelmed to an extent of, of the, the degree of appreciation Joel has amongst the fan base sometimes. Like for people who, who, and granted, most of it's people who are in their 30s, 40s, um, you know, late, late 30s, because I know you're 30, 30, 30-ish, but um, <laughs> late 30s, 40s, Damn, 50s. you're blowing you know, up my spot, dude. What, what, yeah, sorry. <laughs> now um, you're cool. Um, who are like, well, he's out of shape, he's this, he's that, I can't stand him. And most of that's like the boomer generation, where you're just like automatic boomer. But this guy is literally un- unreal, like just ridiculous. He's seven foot whatever, um, has you know has had torn both the menisci menis, menisci I, I, I have menis, no idea meniscuses we'll go meniscuses that. yeah that sounds good menisci yeah. whatever yeah. yes he's broken a foot um, has back has back problems he's still one of the most mobile bigs in the league at his size um, he can defend in space um, he can defend at the rim as as well as anybody he shoots above fifty percent from I think it was like around 50% from mid-range, which is like the best of his career this past season. That yes, literally 49, treat- 49% on high volume, too. Yeah. A lot of mid-range shots yeah. every game. So that, that took him from like a perennial all-star to like a, no, this guy is an MVP candidate. Like, very much in the mix for that. He, I, I, people say he's like, and people are like, well, top five players, KD, LeBron, you know, this, that. No, I, I think he's up there at the top five. Like, I think he's the top five player in the game right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that he has to be in the conversation. The thing is, is that there are, to me, there are like, and this is something that Hugo from Twitter, I'm sorry, Hugo, I forget your last name, but he's a big Warriors fan. He had a tweet the other day that was essentially like, um, there are seven players. Like you could say, like he said, Joel Embiid is the seventh best player in the NBA in his opinion. And you could make the argument that he's the best player in the NBA. That's how talented the league is right now. You have this old crop of legends, like the people that you had, had mentioned, Kevin Durant, um, uh, LeBron James, Steph Curry. And then you have this new wave of star of the Joel Embiid, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, the Luka Doncic. Uh, Jokic coming off of his first MVP. Like, the league right now has such an insane amount of talent that you could make the argument Embiid is the best player in the league, and you could make the argument that he's not even a top-five player. And right now, if you're just going based on, like, pure health and on-court impact, there's, there's to me, there's almost no argument that he isn't a top-five player. Like, if you want to talk about what makes the Sixers go, what made them into what they have been. Like, we dominate when he's on the outside of the 2019-2020 season, which was bad vibes, bad fit, down year in his career. It was the most miserable season I think I've ever experienced. So outside of that miserable season, they dominate every time he's on the court. They fall apart when he's off the court. Even in the playoffs, they are always almost every game – there are a handful of exceptions, but even in the second round defeats that they've 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 had against the Raptors and against the Hawks, the Sixers won those won the minutes that Joel Embiid was on the court by a, a fairly wide margin. And 
you're talking about a guy that can, I sound like the ball don't stop guy. From a standpoint of his one dribble pull-up, his two dribble pull-up. No, um, like I think he's still somehow underrated as a defender when he wants to be locked in, when he cares. He's one of the best rim deterrents in the game. As you said, he can defend in space. He really is just an absolutely dominant force in the post on offense. And the only like element of his game that is really missing now is just the passing and playmaking that he flashed early in his career. And he really hasn't progressed. He showed, I will say he, he can make the easier reads and he has shown even though it doesn't reflect in the numbers, I think he was better at passing this year just based on his scoring gravity alone. Yep. And his, and, shooting with, gravity. Yeah. and his shooting gravity and all of that, he was definitely better as a passer this year. If he can ever get to the level where he's even like an above average to good passer playmaking big, like that is when he becomes, goes from like legit MVP candidate to undeniable MVP if he can stay healthy, obviously. Yeah. And just c- clearly a Hall of Fame player. And if he stays healthy throughout the, the length of this contract, I expect I expect all of all of this to happen except for maybe the passing playmaking leap that I mean he's still only 27 he still he gets better every year outside of the bad vibe season. Yeah. <laughs> and I I mean if he can stay healthy man like I I I just think that they'll they'll always have a shot as long as Embiid is healthy. Yeah like so when we when we look back in time to the first two maybe three-ish years of his career when he's like fortifying himself as like a, a superstar, right? And you, you think back to the highlights of him like making those spin around over the uh, fading to the left corner jumpers and like the one against the Cavs comes to mind in, in his in his, when Cle- in Cleveland, the year that they like surprised everybody and got the three seed. Mm-hmm. He was doing that because he didn't trust himself as a passer. And, he didn't, and, and, and he was, instead of passing it, he wanted to do create a little bit of space and, and shoot a jumper. So last season he was inviting double teams. Like he was like trying to, he was moving himself towards defenders, inviting them to come like magnetize over to him so that way he could find Curry or he could find Tobias or Danny or or whomever. He was way more comfortable as a passer this season than I think I've seen him ever before. Um, And I, the one thing that I want to see out of him is get that assist to turnover ratio up to like, just positive right now. I think he's a negative for his career, which, which I don't, I don't, I don't think I've seen many guys like that uh, in no. the league, but, um, but right. Like if you get that, if you get that to a positive, you've, he, and you, and he keeps up like he did or close to what he did last season. I mean, last season, the only reason he didn't win it was because he missed time with the knee injury. Like that was really the only reason he didn't get it. Um, and so I, I, I just think if he can master that a little better, and also stay healthy. Yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, so, you know, in the next few years, and this is an idea that Marty Teller, who has come on the podcast, has Great suggested. follow, by the way. Great follow. Love Marty. Marty Marty's one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite people. Um, he is, he has talked about the idea of basically using the next five years, six years, however long Joel Embiid is a 76er, as a way to create essentially a new window. Instead of looking at it like we have to win this year because Embiid's health and whatever, how can you make the team as competitive and into contenders over the next 
four or five seasons instead of the next one to two seasons. Because now you have Embiid locked up. Could you maybe take one of those Ben Simmons trade packages that includes a younger player, develop him along with your other young guys, and if another star doesn't come available, essentially you just get a bunch of guys that complement Joel well. Okay. It's a hard ask just because we know that, like, Joel could be one knee injury, one back injury, one foot injury away from, you know, disaster, from essentially ending his career. Now, I, I think that I, I do think that a lot of people, whenever like the, the, they'll throw out their statistics, like Embiid's only played X amount of games and blah, blah, blah. While that is true, a lot of Embiid's injuries have been random. A lot of Embiid's just overall health stuff was during the first two or three years of his career. When he missed the first two seasons, he only played 20 something games since then he's missed an average of like, I think like 15 to 20 games a year because the last two years look especially low because there were 10 games less in both seasons, but he's really only missing about 15 to 20 games per season. And Ultimately, a lot of that is the team being incredibly cautious with him, being very safe, load managing, very similar to what they do with Kawhi Leonard. And the question essentially becomes, how can you optimize the team in the next few years around Joel Embiid? How can you make it so that he is not having to do too much, not having to be the 1A on offense and the 1A on defense? Because outside of LeBron James, pretty much no title team has won a title over the past 10 to 15 years with a guy as an offensive 1A and a defensive 1A. And Embiid right now is being asked to be the captain of the defense, which was fantastic again in the playoffs. He showed that he is one of the best defenders in the NBA, while also running the offense. And and that has proved to be difficult because of the Sixers' lack of a perimeter creator. So it's just something to keep in mind. How do you maximize these next few years with Joel in his prime, And the only thought that has essentially come to my mind is if you're not able to get a Damian Lillard, if you're not able to get a Bradley Beal, if you're not able to get this perimeter creator is essentially taking these young guys, trying to develop them and getting as much shooting and playmaking around Joel Embiid as possible. That is going to be the hard part, obviously. (laughs) But I do think that it is possible that we could create at least – similarly to what the Hawks had this past year, where you don't have that second star, but your star is so good that you can optimize him by putting guys around him that just essentially fit his skill set a little bit better maybe than Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and and the guys that we have put with Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Really interesting. Uh, I never actually thought of that. I think we're so willing to confine Joel to that like five-year period where it's like once he hits his early 30s, He's not going to like de- not only is he going to detonate, but it's going to be rapid because like he his body has had a lot of wear and tear compared to the average thirty year old athlete. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's with, with that improvement on on his jumper that he's mm-hmm. in, he no longer has to rely so much on his physicality and athleticism to be a great player. Yeah. He has that ability to like you to create that shooting gravity for himself, and as a result, you know it, it, it sort of allows him to play a little bit more of like a finesse game than just bouldering through the lane to get things done. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a, an interesting idea. I think it's possible. Obviously the one thing you have to worry about is, you know, does he request the trade? Um, 
it's to say like you know screw this I'm he just signed the super max let's let it live <laughs> <laughs> no, let's I, let I, it marinate for a little bit no but but and, there always is that question yeah and i mean i, I and i also think um i also think like if you had, if i had to like put a gun in my head and and guess he probably opts out of that 26 27 the, the last year of his deal and then signs a new extension like uh, i'll be like, what, very, 30 32 33 yeah. yeah i mean considering his health history considering all of everything that we have talked about if he's 32 years old and still playing at a high level i'll be first off i'll be blown away that's amazing second off like i think that i i think that if he ever gets to that point where he's still playing at a high level Opting out at 32 years old with a center that that almost basically never had an NBA career due to injuries, it would be a no brainer for him to yeah. to opt out and do what Chris Paul essentially did and getting plus, getting more years instead plus like of inflation plus the cap grows every year, so like you're yeah. going to have way more money. Like we're talking like that. Assuming normal growth, it's going to be like 60 something per year, probably. Yeah, absolutely year. insane. But the 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 one thing that I, I have found to be interesting is that. When we hired Daryl Morey, everyone was like, oh, Daryl Morey, he's so aggressive and he's he's so like he he just goes all in every single year. And it's like, you know, obviously he he had his first year to kind of see how things went. Now you have the Ben Simmons situation. It kind of puts him in a, in a tough spot. He didn't get Harden. He didn't get Lowry. He didn't do these things that, you know, a quote unquote aggressive GM might have gone and done. And I do wonder if they think that all of the stuff with Joel, with his injuries, that he'll just end up being fine in the long run, even if that is a risk. Because overall, like, Maury has been pretty conservative. Like, I don't think he's, like, he's used his draft picks. He didn't do that in Houston. He traded draft picks for veterans to go in every year during Harden's prime. He was trying to make those big splash acquisitions, which obviously he is now too, but he actually pulled a few of them off when he was in Houston and has yet to in Philadelphia. And I I think that the team thinks that Joel's prime started last year and will just continue for the next few years and that they think that they can essentially mold a contender around him during that time. Yeah, um, I, I agree with all that. And I don't think it's for a lack of trying. Like it is, it's one thing if like he just been like, you know, he's been peddling, you know, kicking around on his desk and like buying NFTs the entire time he's been in Philly instead of making trades. Like, Some people do think he's been doing that. I get a lot of people <laughs> in my mentions. <laughs> um, I, I think he's been aggressive in his efforts, but if the team doesn't want to trade with him, they don't want to trade with him. But I also don't think that there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with like assessing you know the last 13 years of your career and saying maybe i should do this differently and not trade away all my picks or maybe i should do this differently and you know and and, and do this or that at least you're adjusting and you're and you're and you're ref, you're reflecting on uh, on your past and learning from what you learning from your failures by the way that's something that we could argue doc rivers hasn't done yeah. um so you know I, I, i'm not like ready to put the blame on Daryl or not, not even blame. I don't think you're saying blame, but I, no, I'm just saying just from, from a, him, like, like from a neutral standpoint, I think yeah. it's pretty obvious. He's been conservative. Like, I mean, he hasn't, 
he hasn't been uh, crazy with spending. He hasn't been crazy with uh, making big trades. He, 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 he's made essentially every move that like John Hollinger would like. And I've talked about this before. It's like John Hollinger will always, and like Nate Duncan and those guys will always be like, Oh, they got, they got George Hill on. Uh, he's only guaranteed. You know, makes a great point. <laughs> What's that? Like the, what's the, the meme, the worst person, you know, makes a great point. Yeah, no, no, it's not even that. It's more just like, it's like GM brain shit where it's yeah. like, oh, well, George Hill's only guaranteed $1 million next year. So that's actually not that bad of an acquisition. And, and like, I like the George Hill pickup. I'm not saying that it was a bad pickup, but what I'm saying is even though it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but a lot of the times I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of, of very smart people and they will talk about uh, – they view everything from an asset standpoint instead of just like making a good basketball team standpoint. Like yeah. what the Hawks did the past few years and what the Suns did the past few years, they – from an asset standpoint, they did not do a lot of things right. They were moving up in the draft. They were – draft like the Suns were drafting older players the uh you know they were going out there and they were just kind of throwing they they salary dumped TJ Warren the Hawks moved up to get DeAndre Hunter as I mentioned like they did the things that like those guys would be like what are you doing but the result of that was a finals appearance for the Suns an Eastern Conference finals appearance for the Hawks and sometimes the process might not be perfect but the result can be better and I do think that as someone who likes to be more of a processed oriented like thinker, I understand where Daryl Morey is coming from. I understand where a lot of these writers are coming from. But if they decide to be more aggressive and not appear to like lose a trade, let's say like that, that's been something that like Danny Ainge and Daryl Morey and these guys have gotten this reputation in the NBA for being like such aggressive trying to win trades Mm-hmm. that teams don't want to trade with them yeah, so they just won't, yeah. so they just don't make trades essentially yeah. Yeah. and i i do think that it, it because of everything we've discussed with Embiid and yes you do have him under contract it might serve you to be a little bit more aggressive on going all in on the next few years even if you have the nets even if you have the bucks even if you have these teams that you might not necessarily think that you're better than you need to put the team in the best position to so so I see both sides of it essentially. I'm essentially being a centerist <laughs> yeah. when it comes to t- team building philosophy, and uh, I, I think that uh, I, I think the Sixers are in a better place. They're definitely in a better place from when before they hired Daryl Morey. Couldn't be much no, worse. No one, no one would disagree with that. Like, yeah. like when before the Mori hiring, it was very gloom and doom. It was very like, how do we get out of this situation? How do we get out of that situation? I think that the, they'll ultimately be fine in the current situation that they're in. But um, I would like to see, I would like to see the aggressive Mori that we saw in Houston when it comes to kind of making these all-in moves. Unless they do really think that the next Embiid will stay healthy for the next five to six years and you can build that contender. So let's talk a little bit about some of the guys that we've mentioned in passing here. Some of the guys that could potentially be on the Sixers next year could potentially be included in some of these star packages that we have talked about. Uh, so the first episode I did of uh, where I talked about Summer League I talked about a few players. Um, it was only after one game. Um, so I was able to catch up on the games and watch 
all of the the young draft picks and um, players from last year on the Sixers. Um, let's talk up top just about a guy who he left. There's not really much to say about Tyrese Maxey that we haven't already said, but what did you see out of Maxey in the two summer league games that he played? Obviously, the first one being the Dallas blowout that, that where they killed him, and the Atlanta Hawks game where he carried them down the stretch. What what did you think of Maxie's performance in summer league? And obviously, he proved that he was way too good to be in summer league. And yeah. like, how how do you think that affects his his role next year? So I, I, tr- I treated the summer league as like a very much like a showcase for like, hey, Portland, take your pick. Like any of these guys can be yours for one. One for one small time payment of Damian Lillard, um, <laughs> but I I think like the most important thing that I saw out of Maxi was like the speed's the same, you know. Obviously, I look for things that are going to translate, um, you know, regular season and the way that he was shooting the ball with such confidence in the G in the, not in the G League the summer league, um, he was forcing the, the 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 defender on the screen to basically come up and play at the level of the screen. And what that does is it creates a gap for him to, 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 to you know, uh, split it and, and get right to the rim. It, it basically, you know, it allows the Sixers to actually implement like a normal pick and roll offense. Um, and I thought he was just working that perfectly and playing that really, 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 really well. Um, obviously the, the shooting uh, high volume, so, and the shots were not necessarily great shots because he was the best player on the team, and didn't really. They're like, well, we just gotta stop him, and then we're good to go. Um, but a couple things that I think will translate is like his finishing is just insane. Like it, yeah. it, it's 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 wrong foot off the opposite side of the glass. It's reverse, you know, uh, through contact. It's it's all this different crazy shit that he can do, and I don't know that. He can't. I, I don't know that you can make a case that he shouldn't start next year. Like I, I, I think, I think there's a very. Oh, wow. I think, I think there's a real scenario where he starts in this season. If not that, cert, certainly the six man for sure. Yeah, I think that that role will probably be where he starts the season. Will be in that six man role. Maybe he gets to the point where he proves that he should be a starter. Um, I saw a lot of, as you said, the aggression was there, looking for his own shot. Um, I thought the him running the pick and roll, I believe in him as a scorer. I believe in that the shot will come around. Even the shots that he was missing, I thought that they all looked fine. I thought that everything, the actual process of his game was good, even though he might have went like, I think, one for eight in the uh, second game from yeah. three, and he went like three for five in the first game. He did hit the big one that turned it to overtime. Yeah, the step back yeah. uh, three, and he had some. He had a lot of off the dribble juice that I didn't really see last year. Like obviously last year he was attacking, he was getting to his floater game, but this time he had a lot more craft in the mid range. He had a lot more of those shots off the dribble. He was, and as you said, he was just continuing to shoot through the misses. Like he doesn't really have that mindset. And like, even, even guys like Seth and Tobias who are good shooters have that kind of, they become passive if their shot isn't falling. Whereas Tyrese Maxey kind of falls more into the category of just like, I'm going to be unconscious and I'm just going to keep looking for my shot and getting my shot off. Um, you almost wish the Sixers had a bunch of guys that were just like your stereotypical, like 
Jewish teenager rec league kind of, kind of guy. <laughs> which is like, which is exactly what I was like. I, I didn't give a shit. I would like, I'm just chucking like, like yeah. who cares? Yeah, um, no, we could definitely use more chuckers and do not. And I, I don't want to be canceled. Cause I said, the Ju- I made the Jewish stereotype. You are I mean, Jewish. You can say it. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I it's, it's just, it's just, it's just funny that like they have good shooters who are like fatally conscienced or like have like this to think about it too much. And Tyrese, I feel like is, is, He's not that type. He's spunky. He's, you know, young and naive. Uh, and he just, he's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm going to shoot if I'm open. If I'm not open, I'm going to shoot it. I'm just going to see what I can do here. Yeah. It's a brilliant mindset to have. The Sixers yeah. need to have that kind of, first off, they just need some juice off the bench from a playmaking standpoint, from a scoring standpoint. I do think that there were some, there were some, Rewatching the games because I, I watched some when I was on vacation. I was able to like peek, and then I was able to sit down and actually watch them. There were some times when I felt like in that second game specifically, where like his passing wasn't entirely accurate. Um, yeah. He wasn't making the best reads, but I, I think that that will come with time. I think that he's going to get a lot more on ball reps this year, just because the Sixers need these kind of players. They, they, they essentially need to someone to fill into what shake Milton was for the first two months of the season last year. And once shake started to struggle, the bench really struggled to generate any sort of offense. And I think that Maxi will be able to kind of slot himself into that role. And who knows, they definitely need a shot creator in the starting lineup, whether Ben Simmons is here or not. They need someone who can just take shots off the dribble. They need someone who can create open looks for teammates. Uh, and they need to figure out a way to how to play without Joel Embiid and having a, even if he might not necessarily be like, I think that he might ultimately work best as a secondary guy. Like I, I think that if he, ideally you would have him as like an off ball guy who could, eat possessions and just like score, get, get, get buckets and, um, you know, maybe just hit open shots and, and attack constantly. Um, that would be the ideal scenario, but you might ask him to do a little bit more just because the Sixers really don't have that primary creator, um, outside of Joel Embiid. And, and, you know, if you're looking for someone that is more perimeter oriented, Maxi might slot very nicely into that role. Um, there isn't a ton to take from him just because he didn't, play a lot but in the games that we saw we saw that he's way too good he's gonna he gets no he's essentially gonna get nothing out of playing in summer league he'll get nothing out of playing in the g league he's an nba player now and i think he will continue to get better i'm very excited to see if he is on the sixers i'm very excited to see where he goes from now like one of the things was and it's funny because i shit on boston's offseason for like two episodes i was like what the fuck are they doing and then I actually, really, I actually really like them reacquiring Al Horford. Well, okay, so regardless of the Al Horford, whatever, the Josh Richardson letting Fournier oh. and Kemba like, go, whatever. I can't stand Josh Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless of all of that, my my thought was like what, like, what did they do to make their team better? And when they got Dennis Schroeder on that contract and then they locked up Marcus Smart and they locked up Robert Williams, I was like, okay, I at least like some of their moves that they made better. But there, I saw a lot of people saying like, this is why you don't spend the tax part of the tax MLE on George Niang because Dennis Schroeder is now signing for the tax mid-level essentially with the Celtics. But I, I just look at that and what's that? Okay. Like you don't need Dennis Schroeder. 
<laughs> well, the thing about the thing about Schroeder is like, I think he's uh, better than his rep has been recently, yeah. mm-hmm. but. Ultimately, he is another point guard who is not a good shooter. <laughs> he He's not going to give you the upside of trying to develop a guy like Maxi. He might be a little bit safer, and he might be a little bit more of a veteran savvy guy that you could use as your sixth man, and like he might be better for the immediate. But I think that the high upside play there is trying to develop Maxi and make him into that starting level point guard that I don't think that Schroeder would bring to this team, specifically because... The, the last thing we need is another point guard who just really is not a shooter at all. And like maybe Maxi can develop into that over time. Would you make the argument that there is a, that you could, you would be concerned with Schroeder because guy playing for a contract on your deal and with the ball in his hand, maybe he's more inclined to try things that he shouldn't be trying. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I That's kind of been the player who he was throughout his whole career, except for that one year with Oklahoma City Thunder when Chris Paul and Che Gilgis-Alexander were running the offense mostly. Like, he is, I think he's not as bad as people on the internet think he is, but I don't think that he would benefit the Sixers. I, I also, like, I've heard, like, people don't like him. Like, Dirk Nowitzki hates him. And, like, Dirk is apparently, like, the nicest guy. They they're both German basketball players, so they have that. Oh, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. forgot Dennis is from, was from Germany, yeah. Yeah, so, like, and he's butted heads. He's been, like, I don't know if he's a locker room problem necessarily, but he's definitely, like, he's bounced from team to team. He, he, he doesn't have the best, like, rep. And the last thing that the Sixers need right now is more guys who just, like, don't want to be there, essentially. So yeah. I'm... I, I'm fine with them passing on him. I don't really think that there were a ton of like needle moving free agents this summer, which is why I'm fine with them being a little bit more conservative. But at the same time, like with with Maxi and these other guys that we'll talk about, like I think that there is there is an argument that like the best route if you're not getting a Damian Lillard is just trying to make sure that these guys like Maxi has proved that he can play in the playoffs already. Like he already has that mindset. I think Isaiah Joe could also be like that. I think that there are very few playoff performers on the Sixers still. That's honestly my biggest problem with their offseason free agents is that Andre Drummond, I don't know if he can play in the playoffs because he's struggled in the past. And George Niang also struggled in the playoffs this past year. Like we just essentially keep signing regular season players and I just want to have more postseason performers. And Maxi has already flashed that he can play in the postseason. And I think that next year he'll be, if he's still on the team, he'll be asked to kind of fill into that role. And the Sixers best shot at finding that shot creator outside of a major trade is just developing him. So yeah, that's it's, it's a good thing. point. I hadn't thought about the, like the, the non-playoff player thought yet. That's, that's a, it's an interesting Avenue. Um, I kind of like the Drummond signing, and I know I, we're not going to spend time talking about Andre Drummond, but um, it's because like it's a it's a minimum deal. They're hard to lose. I feel like. Yeah. Um, and, but let me ask you this: What is your pro com for Tyrese Maxey as of now? Because right now, I'm treading, I'm treading between like um, a shade below Bradley Beal as a player, mm. like a shooter, but like a similar player archetype. And then also like the downside of like Jamal Murray. Okay, um, <laughs> which I guess would be grades out to like a superstar or like well, a but I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think that ultimately, I like if 
similarities wise, he's got a little bit of De'Aaron Fox in his game. Yeah. He's got a little bit of, I, I yeah. definitely could see a few, a little bit of Beal. I definitely could see, like, ultimately, I think one of the things that he impressed me a lot with in summer league was his defense. Yeah. And I thought that he played really good on ball defense on uh, Sharif Cooper uh, in that second game, especially in the second half. I thought that he, as a help defender, he had like, he had a block at the rim. He deterred another shot at the rim. Like, I think that as an offensive player, I, I don't think he'll be quite as good as any of the guys that we've mentioned, except for maybe De'Aaron Fox. Like, may, maybe he can get to the point where he's as good as him. I don't think he's going to be close to Beal or Murray as an offensive player unless maybe he's put in the perfect scenario for him. Because, like, you know, as good as Jamal Murray is, like, he is playing with Nikola Jokic. And a lot of a lot of what he has shown as a player is a, a large part of that is due to playing with one of the best players in the NBA. And not not to say that he isn't an incredibly good player, but like I definitely see a little bit of but like on the defensive side, like I know maybe I'm just saying this because he's a little bit of like an undersized guard or whatever. But like I see a little bit of Kyle Lowry. I see like yeah. I, I see the potential for him to be. But not quite as good as any of those guys, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't know, unless he makes a play-making leap, becomes a legitimately good shooter instead of just like an average or below average shooter, which he was in his first season, and he continues to progress on the offensive and defensive side. Like, I don't see all-star in his future necessarily. Maybe like a fringe all-star type. Like maybe like a guy that is like in the conversation, but he's not quite an all-star. But if he does make it, it's probably because he's on a really good team and he's a big part of that. Yeah, it's probably end up on old take exposed, but um, I kind of think like Jamal Murray is like a little bit overrated, like, like a little, yeah. a, a little bit. Like, a his, tiny shooting, bit. his shooting he's inconsistent. is inconsistent. Yes, his shooting is not as advertised. Um, and I don't know that he, I think he's a star level guard, but that's okay because he fits in perfectly with Jokic. So they okay. So him. maybe if if that is your opinion of Jamal Murray, then maybe Tyrese Maxey could eventually be in that class of player. Like like Jamal Murray is probably one of the best players in the NBA that's never made an All Star team. So that would be good a good comparison for what I think his ceiling might be. Yeah. Um, now. Let's move on to talk a little bit more about some other guys on the team that actually we got to see some more of. Um, I talked about Isaiah Joe on the first podcast when I did Summer League stuff. To me, Isaiah Joe is the, other than Maxi, obviously, is the guy that like, if he's not in the rotation next year, I don't know what the fuck we're doing because... I saw uh, first off. I saw some some stats that came out, and keep in mind these are two game samples. These are five game samples. Yeah, and it's in summer league. This is not comparable to an NBA game or NBA season at all. Maxi was the highest points per possession player in summer league this year. He aver- he got one point one points per possession, and went as a ball handler. And then Isaiah Joe had a 50-50 split of shooting off of movement and shooting off of spot-ups. Mm-hmm. more so, Higher shooting off movement than any player that was in Summer League and uh, had the highest points per three-point attempt of any player in Summer League as well, on high volume. So to me, what Isaiah Joe brings to the table as an offensive player, there's no reason he shouldn't be in the rotation next year, right? Yeah, um, I mean... So like you have Corkmaz there, you have Shake there, and I would assume 
that Shake and Korkmaz probably project the shooting guards on this team um, because you have like you have Tyrese Maxey. My guess is they probably trade Korkmaz, um, and it ends up being Isaiah Joe because I I do think he um, is just has a higher ceiling at this point in his career. Like I I I I, I do think the point of giving Korkmaz that contract was that it was so tradable and obviously yeah. also, has, also had his bird rights. But um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Joe is just the kind of guy similar to Korkmaz who just unconscious doesn't think about it, just shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots. And well, that's, that's what you need. But I also was really impressed by, and upon some additional research figured this out, why it was the case, but he's a real, he's like, a, he's a kind of an okay ball handler. Um, yeah. And that's partly because he played it, point guard in, in high school but his ability to just make decisions here and there was like i thought like they, they ran a lot of double drag with paul reed and him and he was just diming up paul reed for like plays at the rim and it was it was like wow that's actually a really nice read and really nice pass um but yeah i mean i i i i, I liked what i saw out of isaiah joe um i kind of feel like at times his release is maybe a little bit inconsistent but i also think that's just a product of a guy that's like doesn't get easy looks because he's a because he, he's a scouted shooter. Like everyone knows, got to keep kind of keep tabs on him. So you have to out, out, almost like ad lib a little bit or like improv your shooting motion to get it off sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately, when it comes down to the Joe Corkmoss thing, it's going to be interesting because Corkmoss can play the three, and he definitely has like. In maybe some small ball lineups, he could probably play the four, depending on the matchup. And if you look at him more as a 3-4, or maybe someone who doesn't necessarily need to play the two, I do wonder if Shake Milton is more likely to be traded. Because I've said this before, the Sixers need to just shoot more threes. Like, I don't think it's the... I don't think that solves everything, but I think it would definitely be nice to have more high-volume three-point shooters in the rotation, whereas Shake has been developed less so like his college self when he was that high-volume three-point shooter and more so as this ball-handling guy who gets into the mid-range, attacks the rim, shoots threes occasionally off the catch, but that hasn't really been his game uh, in the NBA. And his the thing with that is like shake is mainly going to be a one or a two. He's a combo guard. He's mainly going to play those two positions in the NBA and maybe Isaiah Joe makes it so that he is kind of irrelevant and they can trade him. And he's got that low contract and uber valuable. It's very, very valuable. And it's hard to find guys, as you said earlier with the Drummond thing, like it's hard to find guys that make the minimum that can contribute at the level that even shake Milton does. And the court boss thing, it's possible you're right and you're saying, oh, they signed him to that contract so that they could trade him. It's $5 million. Maybe you could add in another contract and get like a $10 million a year player or whatever. You you might even see like down the line this season, there's like a team that's like clearly rebuilding. They have an expiring Larry Nance Jr. The Cavs went after Cork Moss like that. That kind of move was what I had in mind as someone like Larry Nance Jr. Where like you get that stretch four or five, you get a guy who can probably play in the playoffs. He has finals experience um, and he can do a, a little bit of what you want from a modern day big. And I do think that that's a possibility, but Cork Moss can't be traded until December. I'm referring to shake. Like, like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Or shake. Yeah, whatever. Who, yeah, who, 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 doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 But 
Well, I guess they don't really need any more guards, but <laughs> but but if there is that team out there that has a player that that definitely could fit in that mold, the Sixers don't have a lot of tradable salaries. And I think that what I saw from Isaiah Joe as a movement shooter, as you said, he, he's definitely looked improved as a ball handler. My one thing with his offensive game is that he doesn't have anything at the like he he doesn't get to the rim. He's not going to score around the rim. Like it, it was very, very often when he, even when he was running those actions, he wasn't even looking to score. Um, I do wonder if he's attacking closeouts, if he's going to be able to do that at a high level, just because his size and his finishing ability isn't great. But even if he's just more of a perimeter oriented player, that's all you can really ask from a guy that you're you're having come off your bench. He's probably going to be the eighth or ninth man at that point, and you're just looking for someone to come in and and just put up a ton of threes and give you an element of your offense that you haven't had the past few years. Really, since JJ Redick left, they haven't had an, a genuine movement shooter like Danny Green. At this point, is not a movement shooter. Uh, Seth, Seth isn't really like it's not his forte. He'd rather be, he'd rather either have the ball or shoot directly off the catch as a spot up guy. I just think that the, the, he would bring an element to the offense, and he seems the most ready to to just plug in because he has a lot of role player skills that some of these other guys like. I think Paul Reed and Jaden Springer will be good NBA players, but I don't know if they have the role player skills that can just fit into a contender quite like Isaiah Joe does. We'll talk about Jaden Springer, I'm sure. But, okay. All right, let's talk Let's talk about Jaden Springer right now then because we're, we're going to talk about Paul Reed at some point, but uh, let's go Jaden Springer. I watched I watched him pretty closely. Um, obviously, the shot was not falling at all, which is not what you want to see out of a player that has a questionable, a questionable shot coming into the league. Um, I was very high on him coming into the draft. I thought that he was an absolute steal at number 28. He's still only 18 years old. Uh, he still looks very raw on the offensive side. His defense looked... Very good. Um, and uh, yeah, so what did what did you think of Springer? Shot has a long way to go. Yeah. Um, he's struggling to touch NBA distance right now. Um, I so in my evaluation of, of of Springer, I saw a guy who was a little bit of rigid as a shooter, liked to get into the mid range. He said that like I was just playing within the system at Tennessee when he when he when 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 he was asked about why he like about his three point volume that he caught the ball in the perimeter a lot at Tennessee he chose to not shoot threes a yeah. lot of the time um, he takes shots that I think are really going to be hard for him to get off at the NBA level like like getting twirling into the into the mid range like a whirling dervish and then throwing it up over his shoulder and hoping for the best was obvious was was kind of like one of his game was one of his main sources of points um, at Tennessee from what I saw. Um, but I do think there's like, if you, I think there's, there's some Avery Bradley in there. Like there's a potential for that. Um, one concern that I really have, cause he'll get stronger with time. He'll get stronger. He'll, he'll adapt to the NBA game. He'll get, you know, uh, he'll grow still. I'm sure a little bit. He's only, yeah, he's only 18. One thing that concerns me is some guys just simply don't have the athleticism and he jumps off of both feet too often, and that kind of inhibits his ability to like really rise up and make plays. And it, you, like you need to be able to jump off one foot to make plays sometimes. And sometimes he'll get caught, he'll get caught in the middle of the air because he doesn't know where to go with the ball. He's already jumped on both feet. Um, 
but like he doesn't create se- separation either. Like he he doesn't have this profound deep step that that he can just spring back on and create create space with and to shoot. And some of that's like he just doesn't have long legs, which is just a physical thing that he doesn't have. Another part of it is like he's not that athletic, and I think that's it's going to be a problem. Um, defense, I think, is really impressive. He has the makings of a really nice team defender. Really quick hands, was able to d- disrupt a little bit on on, on drives, um, and really time his strips well. And the point of attack defense, I thought, was excellent. He gets down into a stance. Has a really low center of gravity, which I think is massively important and underrated as 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 we evaluate defensive prospects. Um, but it's going to be a multi year thing for him to be ready. Um, I don't know that I'd be comfortable betting that he gets like any NBA minutes this year. Maybe like no, I don't think he. I I, I think that he's a G League guy this year. I think oh, that yeah. he he'll, he's an end of bench guy. I think that he's a G League guy. I think that in order for him to get the reps that he needs to get, playing at a lower level and getting those on ball reps and maybe learning to be a little bit more effective off the ball as which is the role that he most likely would have with the Sixers is going to be a big part of developing his game. Um, my question for you is, is, and this is something that I believe it was PD Webb said, um, and one of the, who's like a huge draft Twitter guy, and one of the things he said was like, when it comes to the criticisms of guys like Springer and guys like who have this history of like jumping off two feet and using that, like, uh, do you think that, that you can teach them to essentially like not do that? as often. And his answer was, well, yes, I think that there have been plenty of cases where guys can essentially relearn how to leap. They can relearn elements of their game that they might just do based on habit. And the things that I saw out of Springer that were good were the fact I thought that his ability to actually get to the mid range, yeah, that first step, the ability to kind of just wiggle around guys into the mid range was incredibly effective. I thought that he was able to touch the paint as pretty much at will whenever he wanted to, especially when he had a smaller defender on him. Yeah. And then the one thing that I am concerned, even the shot wasn't falling. The form doesn't look great. Like there are things that the, the things that, that he needs to clearly work on. It looks, it looks different from, almost a shot-to-shot basis. Yeah. And the more concerning thing is that it looks phenomenally different when he steps outside versus when he's, like, in the paint. Yeah. So that's definitely a, a thing that I'm concerned about. Another thing is I felt like by the last game, he kind of had things more figured out. He was able to get to his spots. He was actually hitting the shots. He was making making plays and passes that he wasn't making in the first few games. When he was essentially trying to be a playmaker. He wasn't making the best decisions with the ball. And I think that that to me, that is something that would concern me more than anything else, because I think it's, I I do think that he, he could end up being like a decent playmaker slash decision maker, but that's something that is, is harder to be taught than jumping off of two feet, how to shoot like these, these things that are like elements of players games that you can develop and have been developed in the NBA, whether it's handle, shot, all these things that 
pretty much every player needs to work on and continue to get better at. Whereas the inherent things like decision-making, playmaking, uh, when when you're running the pick and roll, those kind of things, obviously they're going to get better with reps, but if it isn't quite as inherent to you, it might limit where you can be as a player for where your ceiling can be. Overall, like I'm definitely not feeling great about it, but I didn't expect him to come into, he's not the kind of player, like he's not bones Highland. Like he's not someone that's just going to come in and be a Hooper or even like Sharif Cooper that we saw who had his struggles. What's that? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Jaden Springer is definitely a basketball player, but, but I, (laughs) but due to his age and the, the, the fact that he kind of figured things out by that last game, it and like, I've heard good things about his character, his work ethic, all that stuff. I'm definitely totally like fine. Like I'm still high on Springer. I'm still high on the pick. I think that he, other than Sharif Cooper was probably the best player available there. There might be other guys. Like there are definitely going to be guys like Deuce McBride and there are going to be guys even like Jared Butler, who I was high on coming into the draft that were selected after uh, the Sixers picked that might flash early. Because they're a little bit older. Best Butler the Sixers have had in like the last six or seven years. That's right. Yeah. Jay Jay Butler. He's going to be the best Jay Butler in the NBA next year. But but my thing is those guys are a little bit older. They're a little bit more developed. And that over time, I I think that that Springer will ultimately get onto the court as a Sixer in his second year more so than in his first year. I don't think he's quite as NBA ready as some other guys that we could have drafted, but I do think that he has more upside if he can round out parts of his game that are very raw right now, as opposed to some of the guys that might've been safer picks at the time that are still going to be like solid NBA players. Yeah. Um, going back to like what you said about his playmaking, I think like when you're eight, by the time you're 18, you're, there's going to be some innate playmaking that you just naturally have uh, instinctually um, that it's just like a gift. And if you have that, and okay, this guy projects as a guy that's going to be an elite playmaker, like Luca, yeah. like LeBron, um, like early parts, of, uh, when, when Ben Simmons was a rookie, yeah. he was awesome, an awesome playmaker. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Jaden Springer has that. And so I think. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's going to be as good as Luca Doncic. <laughs> or LeBron James. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> In hindsight, that sounds pretty funny. No, I know exactly what you're saying, though. <laughs> but, but what you're saying is essentially that, like, I think that he showed enough. Like, I think his passing is pretty good. I think he'll, like, be a, a middling, a, a, a middling, like, playmaker. And that's the reason why, even at his size, like, people at my, my colleagues TPL, we were all, like, t- talking about, like, can, we th- can this guy be a point guard? I don't think he can. I think he's a he's strictly a, a shooting guard um, who may or may not be able to shoot when all is said and done because I just don't think his playmaking jumps enough yet. And I think he's a little bit his handle when he got pressured. I I was I thought it was like very much so he was not confident with it. Um, so again, like all the makings of a guy that's a G League G Leaguer his rookie year, um, and I think he'll be here for a while because I I don't know what his trade value would be because I don't think I think there's so much about him that's so raw and unknown to this point 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really expect him to be a guy that is going to have enormous trade value. If anything, he would be an addition to a trade um, that maybe just be like another team being like, oh, we like this guy in the draft. And, you know, he was apparent. The reports were that he was second on Memphis's board um, behind Zaire Williams, the guy that they drafted. They moved up to draft. So, um that's a good thing because they're very good at drafting. And also I just trust the Sixers scouting department and the people that I know from draft Twitter that really are super high on Springer's game. Like I think that the, the one thing I want to see him improve on and I, this kind of comes back to the decision-making is he tends to do uh, when he's in a, in a rough situation, he will tend to jump uh, and get stuck in midair sometimes. Exactly having to what make, I said, yep. Yes, yep. yeah, yeah. Having to make a decision uh, whether he needs to score or pass. And sometimes that would result in finding an open shooter on the perimeter and uh, turn into an open look and a shot. Sometimes it did not. He was able to, I, I thought he was able to locate guys pretty well, locate shooters. But I would like to see him kind of refine more of his game, uh, whether it's, uh, as an end of the bench guy uh, who gets garbage time minutes, or maybe he'll be a spot defensive guy where he can just play spot minutes at defense, similar to the Rajon Tucker role from last year. Um, Rajon Tucker, but I think yeah, RIP. Uh, but I think that uh, ultimately his his pathway to minutes on the Sixers is going to be developing the shot and just being a consistent defender because unless. Unless he really makes a leap as a ball handler and playmaker, there's not going to be a ton of opportunities for him to get chances to to run offense or anything like that. And I don't even think he's close to being at that level right now. So, like, like, so, like, he's still so young, and I get that, I get all that. My point, the point that I make, I'm, I'm definitely making, and I, and I think from, from what I'm hearing from you, as you're making, is it's not that he can't get better, and and, and he's certainly young. It's just that he's just so far away from NBA level on a lot of those things. Like ball handler. I don't think he's an NBA level ball handler. He, I, I think he's like tiptoeing on like borderline. Okay. NBA shooter. Um, defensively. I think he's right up there. Like he's fine. He's great. Um, everything else. Like there's so much work to be done that I think a lot of, what it is now, like what we saw in summer league was him kind of having luck with playmaking and just taking advantage of guys who were maybe a little bit too like excited to like go up there and like greet him and, and, and therefore opening up like a lane for a guy to cut and him hitting a cutter. And it's like, Oh wow. Great play. Like kind of, but also kind of like he took advantage of a bad defensive miscue that he won't see at the NBA level. Um, and, but there were times where he was like leveraging his shooting gravity in the mid range and then dumping to like P- Paul Reed or whoever it was. It was right there in the dunker spot. Yeah. So I mean, there, there there is some stuff there. It's just about his brain waves like digesting what he's seeing and then transmitting those signals to like perfect go. Like like yeah, he's, he does. He's not, he doesn't process the the game at a high level right now. And I think that hopefully you hope over time that with more reps and more opportunities he can get to the point where he does and. One last thing I just want to say on Jaden Springer is one of the things that people will talk about when it comes to the draft is the the early draft. So, like, for example, the Spurs did that this year with Josh Primo, right? Like, everyone was shocked that they took him. But it's like, well, Josh Primo was, I think, the only American player in the draft that was younger than Jaden Springer. And uh, That's true, actually, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, the I can't remember Brian Jay, who they had on the rights to Ricky Sanchez to talk about Jaden Springer, uh, was talking about it. And he was like, I don't disagree with the Spurs thought process there. Like, I don't disagree that like trying to get a guy maybe before he has the chance to develop and maybe you get a higher upside guy because you're drafting him uh, a year before he really pops. That is is great. But his argument was, if I were to do that, Jaden Springer showed more flashes than Josh. Like, Jaden Springer was way better than Josh Primo was in college. And he essentially showed more that he can become that NBA player than than Josh Primo did. And I think that that is the kind of thing where, like, the Sixers are really going for that higher upside swing and that over time Springer will prove to be uh, a good, if not great, NBA player. Uh, but it's just going to take some time just because he's so young and he's so raw. Yeah. So, uh, Josh Primo, well, kind of unrelated, very unrelated, but Spurs took the Devin Vassell. I had him top four in my mm-hmm. board last year. He looked freaking great in summer league. I, mm-hmm. I, that, that kid's going to be good. And I was sitting there like drinking my Michelob Ultra, patting myself on the back, just like having a good old time. Yeah, Vassell. Vassell was another uh, draft Twitter favorite. That's why I'm surprised that you're not higher on uh, Springer, actually, because I don't know how much you watch of him, but he was he was very similar to Vassell in that. I, I think Vassell's game it was going to be adapted to the NBA a lot quicker, but uh, I just remember a lot of draft Twitter people being very high on Maxi and Vassell, and Springer was one of those guys this year. So I, I admittedly wasn't... I should have enough time this year between like my day job yeah. and my night job covering the Sixers as well. Like I didn't, I didn't have enough time to like do much draft stuff, but I remember with Vassell, I was like, Holy shit. This dude's like massively like perfect NBA body, massive in size and wingspan has a really high release, hard to guard in that aspect. And it also can create a little bit. There's a lot of untouched, untouched potential. Yeah. There. You reminded actually, me when I watched this college stuff, you reminded me a lot of Michael Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly right. Um, whereas Stringer, he's he's six three, six four, has a six eight wing, so he's positive wingspan. At least we can say that. But <laughs> at least we can say this positive thing <laughs> about a guy who could have been <laughs> sorry. Who almost I was? I was gonna try to write a profile, and I was talking to his agent, and now I'm like, oh, here's this. Forget it. Um, oh no, no. Well, hey. Jaden Springer's agent. Uh, I like Jaden Springer, and uh, I don't write, but uh, good job. There we go. go. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I I have reservations about like, is he a point? He's too. He's not like a definitive shooting guard because he isn't that big, but he also doesn't have point guard skills. So like, where he's a tweener somewhere in there. He's not a great shooter. That's a long way to go to develop that. And then everything we've discussed. I, I just think right now the ceiling that I'm comfortable with defining him is like maybe he's Avery Bradley, which is still so, an okay player. But Yeah, no. The, I, hey, if you get Avery Bradley with the 28th pick in the draft, that's a win. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. The statistical profile of between what the flashes that you've seen and the statistical profile of Jaden Springer based on – uh, obviously, and admittedly, a very small college sample size. There was a there was essentially um, a like 
you know those stat filter things that like people will do yeah. like this player did okay so it was basically like had a free throw rate of x yeah. had this of that like and there were four freshmen since 1992 that have had the same amount of success as a scorer slash passer um, as Jaden Springer did in his rookie year, or his freshman year at Tennessee. And it, the other three guys were Shea Gilgis Alexander, CJ McCollum, and Bradley Beal. So those are good, good company. And 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 hey, sometimes it's just random. Sometimes it's just small sample size. Sometimes it's whatever. The guy was a high recruit out of high school. You know, the, the question marks about his game were always going to be the question marks about his game. Like, there's nothing that I think is that are like incredibly surprising that I've seen from him. Um, and yeah, so it was a usage of at least 25%, a two point percentage of at least uh, 40, 45%, a free throw rate of at least 40% and an offensive rebounding rate of at least 4.4%. And the other guys were CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal and Shea Gilgis Alexander and their stats across the board were almost identical. Now to me, I said this in the pre-draft podcast he doesn't really jump off the screen when you watch his highlights or his game no, film not at all. in the same way that a lot of these guys do. But I, I have faith that over time, I don't think he's going to be that level of player, but I have faith over time that he will be able to develop into a good player once again. Uh, and as Sixers fans, we have had plenty of nightmares about players who have not panned out, but it's a new day. We got, we got a new, we got a new front office. We got a new coaching staff. Let's hope that uh, over time we can, we can uh, actually develop some players. So what's that? For sure. Yeah. 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 So let's touch on very, very quickly, Paul Reed. My biggest thing with Paul Reed is like, he doesn't need to play at the lower levels now. Like we know he's going to dominate like 2020 games, G league MVP, one of the best players in summer league. Like at this point, he needs to get a legit shot at the rotation next year. And if, he proves to be a little bit more refined on offense then I think he will stick around. But I do think that he wasn't really a rotation level NBA player as a rookie based on the opportunities that he was given. And I do kind of have a hard time envisioning his role yeah. as a role player on the Sixers, because he's like one of those guys that dominates at the lower levels. But like when he gets up to play guys that are NBA size and like doesn't have the ball quite as much and all those things, I do wonder what his game really looks like. So what, what do you think? So obviously physically he profiles as either a, a four who could really like inflict, like theoretically could inflict a lot of damage there or fi- or a small ball five, which is fine. Um, that's going if they if, if and we'll, I guess we're gonna talk about this because it's in the docket you sent me. But um, if, if 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 they're going to sign Paul Millsap, which we'll get into later again, um, I, I I guess you're playing him at power forward. But the issue there is the simple the simple implication of a modern day power forward is that you're going to have a little bit more freedom with creativity and from what. From what you saw in, in in the summer league, like he's fine doing what Tobias does, which is catch on catch on the perimeter, tackle on a line, get to the rim, and do whatever. There are also plays where he was isolated on the block and he's trying to like maneuver himself around somebody. And I'm like, I'm like I'm like this is awful. And then he <laughs> and then he like throws up like he throws up a prayer and it, it, it kisses the other side of the backboard and bounces off. He can't create yet, or I don't know if ever by himself. So I I, I think like. He, he, he was trying to do a lot 
of things and you're just like, buddy, you're playing well without doing this, just stick to what we like, just stick to this. Like, and again, it's summer leagues in an environment for where there's, there's low stakes, just try new things. I uh, was why I asked him after one of the summer league games, I said, did the staff tell you to, you know, try new things and branch out? Or is this try to like hone yourself within the role on the team? And he said, when I was told to to hone myself within the role that I have on the team, which I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, well, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> so so like, I I guess they I guess if, he should be in rotation for sure, um, or at and, least get a shot at the rotation. Yes, I don't yeah. think that I don't think that Paul Reed is a lock to be in yeah. any NBA rotation right now. Like I think that he's shown enough at the lower levels that he should he could have more to his game. He could have that upside, but as you said, like. Is he a roll man? Is he a stretch big? Is he a four? Is he a five? Yeah. Is he just going to be a guy who kind of mucks it up and yeah. like is an energy defense guy that can attack closeouts? And if the three is consistent, then he's got a pathway to minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think like, like at the moment, it's can they trust him in regular minutes to stick to the game plan and like not do crazy shit? Like just stay within the not box. be the Dwight Howard of 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 the next team essentially. Like bro, bro, he was like he caught the ball on the block and he's just turning and he's like, up, oh, I'm gonna go this way, now I'm gonna go back that way, now I'm gonna go back this way, and I'm gonna try to lay it up with my with my left hand and get it by you. I'm like, dude, you just airballed off the opposite side of the glass. Like, come on, he's but, very chaotic still. But I love it. It's 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 oh, yeah. fantastic. Everything about him is just fun. <laughs> I do wonder. Okay, so with Maxi, if Maxi is the bench point guard and Doc wants to. Uh, against my will, run more uh, all bench lineups, or at least run bench heavy lineups. I do wonder if the Maxi and Paul Reed combination could kind of unlock him more so as a role man, as a pick and pop big, as someone who will just essentially do all the things that you ask of a big. Like I see, he has some four to his game, but I think his future in the NBA, it, he's a five. Like the NBA is just so much smaller than it used to be outside of a handful of bigs. Like I think that he'll be able to keep up with a lot of today's NBA centers. I think that he'll be fine as a defender. I think he'll be fine as a rim protector. I think he'll be able to switch out onto the perimeter. Like I think that he's pretty good at like a lot of things. Like he's like legitimately very talented for the, for the late, as late as they got him, he's tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. And like what it comes down to for him is like, like, I talk about this a lot where it's like at the lower levels, he might look more dominant than a guy like even like Isaiah Joe. Yeah. But Isaiah Joe to me can fit a little bit easier into a contending NBA team than someone like Paul Reed, who's used to having the ball, who's used to having a little uh, running a little bit of offense, who's used to being the dominant guy that you wouldn't really want from your backup center or backup maybe four. So I do wonder what the future for Paul Reed is with the Sixers. I do wonder if maybe he's the kind of guy that like will just try to develop him and then he'll be maybe he'll be Christian Wood or maybe he'll be uh, the I'm not as good as Pascal Siakam, but someone like that, like that's like that G League star and gets to the next level. But ultimately, like I just want to see him in an NBA role. And then define that role for him. Like I want, I want that to be the priority. Like what you were talking about when you talked to him. Like I want him to buy into a role and make it obvious that he can be a role player in the NBA instead of being like the G League star, essentially. Which and that wasn't like me questioning 
whether he can become that. It was more along the lines of like, what is the plan for him? Because that the, yeah. what I was watching, the message conveyed to me, they're not quite sure what he is yet. Like where, yeah. where he fits into the plan. Second year, 22 yeah. years old. And it's still like, what is this guy? Like he, he's just a right. very like clearly a talented player, way more talented than where he was drafted. Yeah. And can, can the Sixers be the team that kind of develops him and hones in on what he does best and get maximizes him as a player. And I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that if you can get, a little bit of everything out of pretty much everyone we talked about except for Jaden Springer. Like if you can get a little bit of step forward, uh, Joe and Reed turn into NBA rotation players. Maxi takes that next step to being like the six man starter level type player that the Sixers bench has potential to be actually good for the first time in what seems like forever. Yeah. Or maybe alternatively, maybe, maybe he's not, maybe Paul Reed is not in their plans for the future. Maybe. Maybe he is another guy that I is. My, I have a theory that we will discuss on uh, once we get to the to, to the uh, Paul Millsap. Yes, that's all right. Let's do these Paul. last two things really quickly because I don't want to hit a two-hour mark on this podcast, which is that's, crazy. But I've been having fun, so uh, haven't done a podcast in quite some time. So let's get into before we get into Paul Millsap. Let's talk a little bit about the Grant Riller signing that happened um, while I was on vacation. For anyone who doesn't know anything about Grant Riller, uh, going into last year's draft, I actually thought that the Sixers could have drafted him with one of those early second round picks that they ended up trading for uh, Danny Green in the Al Horford trade, and they ended up trading for Seth Curry. So he was one of the guys that I thought could be a target at that spot. He was an older, he was 23 years old when he came into the league, he's 24 years old now, He's an older, smaller guard, which already is scary. Who played in a conference that was yes. not exactly Char- producing. College, yeah, exactly. College of Charleston played at a small school. But if you watch his, his college highlights, you can see the appeal of Grant Riller. He's an incredibly quick first step. He's become an even better shooter. He's an insane finisher for someone his size. He was in like the 98th percentile, I believe, his senior year as a finisher. Um, he is definitely someone that is a good use of a two-way spot because you're going to know pretty quickly over the next year whether Grant Riller is an NBA player or not. I think now that he's 24, he'll be 25 in February. Like This is really an opportunity to bring in a guy, get a look at him in the G league, get a look at him, uh, potentially playing maybe spot minutes at the end of games and, and, and stuff like that. He struggled to even, he never basically played for the Hornets. He had some flashes in the G league and he struggled in summer league. Now, based on what you've seen from this bucket getter, Grant Riller, who once again, I was very high on, like some people thought he was a first round talent. What did you think? just based on what you've seen and like, what do you think of the Sixers using a two way spot on him? So he has all of like that innate and all that innate, like ability and, and the skill that, that just like modified sc- scores are going to have. So he's very good in that front. A um, couple things that would sort of give me like pause or that I would at least question a little bit. One is like, it's the Mike James theory. Um, of like, okay, another small guard who 
is uh, is like a, immensely talented, can play, can, can score off the dribble, can handle whatever. And that looks great to Sixers fans and to the Sixers because they don't have <laughs> much of that. Um, so is he really that, that – is he really quote-unquote a lottery ticket or is he just somebody who does a lot of things that the modern NBA guard can do and he looks better because the Sixers don't have a lot of modern NBA guards? Is he a um, hooper? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Um, the thing that like undersized guards for me is like it's very rare that they're efficient scores. So like, yes. is he going to be more in like the Devonte Graham type where he's like thirty nine percent from the field, thirty eight from three, and then like whatever. In which case, then you're making the argument you're making really is like he he he's just a he's just a bench guy who is a is like a, a minimized role player on a good team and a starter on a team that has lottery aspirations. Right. So I think you'll know that pretty quickly. I, I think it's a, it's a fine use of a two way, right? Um, I like Darren Henry a lot in the two way. I think there's some untapped stuff there. And I think there's a lot uh, left that you could see out of him. I think Grant Riller is similar, but I do think you're right. The time is ticking on him and we're going to, and you're going to know soon if he's an NBA player, but I think there is size is, is, a, is a detriment. Um, and, if you're looking for, he's he's the guy that you get when you're looking for somebody to fill up the high volume score on low efficiency, which, by the way, is not a great thing to be. No, it isn't. But I I do think that if you are to like, I, I think his role in the NBA ultimately, like if Grant Riller were to pan out and become an NBA player, he would be in that exact role that you're describing. He would be the sixth man. He would be maybe you know he's a much better finisher than Devonte Graham, but he would definitely struggle um, in terms of I think just beating guys in the NBA off the dribble more so than he did in college. Obviously, I think that he can prove to be an effective off ball player. He shot a lot more threes in the G League at a high clip and hit a good amount of them. Um, I think that his defense, his defense was always bad, but he never really was asked to play a ton of defense at yeah. college. And essentially what you're looking at with a guy like Grant Riller is that microwave score, that Cameron Payne type that you can have come in off the bench and just get you buckets and, and run your offense for, for periods of time. I don't think that he's going to develop into even that level of NBA player, but I do like that the Sixers, and this is something that Maury has done a lot throughout his tenure, is rolling dice on like former guys that he might have seen as like higher, should have been higher picks, or guys who were taken with higher picks and doing kind of a reclamation project with them. So Grant Riller might even be a guy that shines in the G League and then struggles when he gets up to the NBA just because of his size. But right now, what the Sixers are looking for is they're just looking for like guys who can get their own shot, guys who can shoot off the dribble, guys who can essentially be walking buckets, issues, and problems. And I think that that is a totally fine use of a two-way spot. And I'm I'm and once again, I'm excited. I don't think that Rajon Tucker is really NBA worthy player. of one. Like, yeah, I mean, like, he's just yeah. not, like, he's not an NBA player. And I have a theory on this, and I've I've, I've spat this out, like, six times, but I'm going to say it again. You have a lot of theories and suspicions. I I, you, the things that keep me up at that are ridiculous. I'm going I'm going bald, and I'm only 20. No, I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> only kind of. Um, so, like, so, first of all, I'll address the, the, the Grant Miller thing, my last point there. Um, he is small. He does excellent getting to the rim. I wonder how that bodes for him in terms of like a free throw rate guy in the NBA. Cause I think fouls that don't look that bad on regular size players are going to look much more physical and therefore yeah. 
easy to call against him. He had a very high free throw rate in right. college. That was right. one of his good things. I also think that and he also might be the one that he gets fouled a lot. They don't call yeah. it because they're overly trying to correct for the fact that he's small. Yes. Um, so that's one thing. Now, John Tucker. So Daryl Morey trades for um, trades for uh, uh, what's the, what's the guy's name? Oh, not Hill. Not no. This is like years ago. This is like the very beginning of the process. KJ McDaniel's. Yes. KJ McDaniel's. Um, and then he si- he signs them to an extension, three year deal, before um, I think trading him again. He then signs. Rajon Tucker as a rocket. Tucker plays in the bubble. He then signs him again on a two-way with the Sixers, and he, then he cuts him. I think Daryl Morey has a fetish for guys that are uber athletic but don't have an NBA skill. He likes to Gary, sign Gary Clark. Yeah, the same exactly. same guy that he had with the Rockets and the Sixers. Exactly. He has a fetish for wings that can't really do much of any kind of like. Um, functional skill, but they're just uber athletic. So he taps yeah. in there, sees what he can get out of them, and then if they if, he, if they don't show much progress, it's on to the next one. It's very Presty esque with yes. like he used to do with the Thunder, where yeah, you're picking up these big body guys who have a ton of athleticism, but they're still raw, and like that's a fine use of a two way spot. But I do like to see the fact that with the Sixers, he's moved maybe a little bit away from that kind of yes. Of athletic men who can't shoot, please. Thank yes, you. I, I I think the Sixers have had plenty of those, and that we are ready for buckets, problems, and shooters. So that's hopefully what Grant Riller can become with the Sixers if he ever does end up making it to the main roster. Um, another thing that people said was like maybe if they have to trade away Maxi in a Damian Lillard trade or someone that maybe he could. They're hoping that they could develop Riller into a guy that could be like your bench scorer, bucket yeah. getter even though he's like four years older than Maxi, But all right, so our last thing we're going to touch on real quick. Earlier today, Jake Fisher reported that the Sixers were one of like six teams that were interested in veteran stretch big Paul Millsap, who most famously made the all-star team over Joel Embiid a few years ago. We're just bringing in all of Joel's former... It happened? I missed that. I I, I forgot. Yeah, his rookie rookie season in 2017, Paul Millsap made it. There was a Sixers Twitter made a big deal out of it. And like, I think Embiid ended up like posterizing Millsap in a game. And it was like, oh, like whatever. Next year, so, Nuggets probably. Yeah, probably. And uh, I can't even remember. But I, 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 saw, I saw people talking about this and I vaguely remembered something like this. So the thing about Paul Millsap is he's 36 years old. Yes. He's still proven to be a solid stretch big option he's still like a decent nba rotation player um would you have any interest in him on the sixers and also like i'm just trying to figure out how this works because maybe your theory on things can help me figure this out because it doesn't sound like Millsap is going to be signed right away by any team but he could be available and the sixers don't really have any roster spots if they use the last one on Charles Bassey. And then in addition to that, as we talked about, like they now have Drummond, Niang, Paul Reed, all, all bench four five type guys Yeah, where, and then potentially like Thibel and Korkmaz can play the four. Like where does this guy come in? So the, 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 the Jake Fisher piece also mentioned that like an executive said that, that Millsap was interested in like a backup big or like stretch five role, which is 
I think perfect because he's 36 at 36. You're not asking a guy to guard like the modern day four in space because it's just not going to go well. Yeah. Um, so he's a, he's like a below average three point shooter for his career, but really all you're asking him to do is just like pose the threat because that in itself is going to lift the big out of the second unit, big out of the lane and open things up. And all you yeah, have to do is uh, but just unit. quick, quick aside there. Last year, he shot like 48% on catch-and-shoot threes. Or maybe the year before, he's very good on catch-and-shoot threes now at this point in his career. Yeah. So all you're really asking him to do is just do that because it's just going to it, – all the, the bench needs is just easy looks at, at the basket. And him elevating a big out of the paint opens that up and then they can get to the rim pretty easily and then that, everything is fine and swell. Um he doesn't give you the optionality that you might want and that the Sixers have talked about wanting out of the, at, at, at every position. Um, his contract situation is going to be odd because the three point, the, I think it was like 3.6 million that the Nuggets could offer him because they, because they had his, his cap hold or whatever. Um, and he wants more than that. Well, the Sixers only have veteran minimum deals left. Um, so perhaps they can convince him of that. But if, if not, and he wants more than that, only thing they have left is a two point six million left the taxpayer MLE. If they go above that, then you're looking at a scenario where they're hard capped, and it becomes much harder to make a Lillard trade. Yes. So, also technically, they could use a trade exception to do a sign in trade, but they would also get hard capped if they did that. Yes, right. Now they the, have the eight million dollar trade exception from the yes, Al Horford trade. That's correct. Um, so it could be a sign in trade, which is possible because of this cap hit. Um, my theory is, so Doc doesn't like playing young guys. We, we've, we've, we've said this. In fact, I'm like very confident that the reason that, that Daryl just traded, like just discarded essentially Tony Bradley Jr. last year was because he wanted to force Doc to play um, to play Paul Reed. That's my theory. That's, that's what I think. So that didn't work. <laughs> so, um, so with that, here they are potentially signing Paul Millsap, another veteran big to get Paul Reed's way. Why do you do that? Well, maybe they're planning for the scenario where Paul Reed has to be included in the trade to get Lillard, in which case that opens up. It the all back. comes back to the Lillard trade. Th- everything they're doing this offseason, I think, positions them to, 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 be avail- to make guys available for the Lillard trade. And so that's why I think if you're going to sign Millsap, it's the writings on the wall for Paul Reed, I think. Yes, but they also would – this would be in the scenario where maybe Paul Millsap knows that these kind of trades could still go down and he's waiting because he's like, hey, maybe yeah. I could be included in some sort of sign-in trade. Because if you get Damian Lillard and you're doing a all-in type move, you wouldn't care about being hard-capped as long as you can send out some salary, get back some some salary. And Millsap definitely if, – if you want to win a title next year and you get Damian Lillard – Paul Millsap definitely makes a lot more sense than Paul Reed. Yeah. And ultimately the reason why I think all of these younger players are going to get more opportunities is because if they don't pull off a trade like that, that they want to put these young players on display to show what they can do. And also they might have a little bit more upside than your random veteran free agent that that, that you're going to sign off the street. And Ultimately, if the Sixers are constructed as they are, they're not contenders. Like, they're sub-contenders at this point. You can't get past the second round. You can't beat Atlanta. You're not a contender. So we know that. And 
maybe you're right. I, I have my doubts. I, I think that you're definitely right that they are keeping the options open. They've been in a holding pattern, all that stuff. But I think the likeliness of a Lillard thing, like three weeks ago, I was like, oh, we're getting Damian Lillard. And now I'm like, uh, I think they're going to get him. I'm still like very, I'm like very confident. All right. You heard it here, f- f- here first, folks. Um, if we don't get Damian Lillard, then you can all yell at NBA Krell. <laughs> Everyone else yells at me on Twitter, so I, I, I don't see why this one didn't hear it. Also, last time you had me on a podcast, it was because I predicted the Sixers would go zone, and they did. So, That's actually a good point. Last time, yeah. They went zone, oh. and they won the game against the Pacers without Embiid. Right. Come back. So... There you go. That's that's a good place to end it because we are almost at two hours and I've never done a podcast this long, but it was a lot of fun. It was great catching up with you. Um, I will put all of the links for your Twitter, your podcast in the description. Please check that out if you're still listening. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Austin. Thanks for having me. Peace.